With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mr. Speaker, of taking back control of our trade policy and restoring our independent seat in the WTO for the first time in 46 years. Our exports, our exports to the, our exports to the United States. I wish, I wish my honourable, I wish I my honourable friend, oh, all of it. Order, 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 order. London calling through the faraway towns. Now war is declared and battle come down. London calling to the underworld. Come out of the cupboard, you boys and girls. Welcome to London Calling with me, James Dellingpole, and my very good friend, Mr. Toby Young. Toby, I'm feeling all relaxed on holidays, so I'm going to leave all the work to you this 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 week. Um, you've been following the Brexit excitement very closely, and I'll just sort of chip in a few kind of lazy remarks while you do so. Yes. Um, yeah. Well, we're. I think uh, the victory that we won in the EU referendum in 2016 um, has never been at greater risk of being. Uh, snatched away. Um, Boris Johnson's uh, parliament resumed today um, uh, after the summer recess, um, and uh, it's due to be prorogued from next week until the 14th of October, uh, which means parliament will be suspended. Uh, but during the four-day window starting today, Tuesday, there's an opportunity for the enemies of Brexit to frustrate Brexit. And they seem to be making quite a lot of headway in the House of Commons as we speak. Uh, so uh, what they're trying to do is um, what's called seize control of the order paper, uh, which is a very unusual move. Um, and under normal circumstances, the House of Commons would not be able to do that. What, if, what it effectively does is grant MPs in the House of Commons the opportunity to make laws, whereas it's usually the government that makes laws. Um, uh, and uh, if they if they manage to seize control of the order paper, and it looks like they will, though we won't know until later today, they will then, the, the rebel Remainer MPs, will then introduce a bill tomorrow mandating that Boris Johnson ask for yet another extension of the Brexit deadline. As things stand, we're due to leave the European Union with or without a deal on October 31st. We've already asked for two deadlines. We were due to leave uh, back in March. Um, and uh, what these Remainer MPs want to do is pass a bill uh, forcing Boris to ask for an extension, which he's pledged not to do. Uh, 
and it's just a way of further delaying Brexit. Uh, and I guess their hope is that if they can delay it and delay it and delay it, not only do they make Brexit less likely, but they also increase the probability of there being another referendum which they would hope to win this time. Anyway, it's their latest attempt to um, obstruct the will of the British people as expressed in the last EU referendum. Uh, and so the, the, if they do succeed, not only in seizing control of the order paper, but also in passing a bill uh, over the next few days, um, uh, Boris has said rather than ask the EU for an extension, he would try and call a general election. Now, this is where it gets quite complicated because of a piece of legislation called the Fixed Term Parliament Act, uh, which sought to fix the length of each uh, government uh, to five years. Um, it's quite it's not it's it's no longer uh, that easy for a prime minister to simply call a general election. What Boris will have to do is table a motion in the House of Commons tomorrow um, uh, in which uh, he asks for two thirds of the House of Commons to vote for a general election. And up until now, the Labour Party have been absolutely adamant that they want nothing more than a general election. And they've been very bullish about it. And they've said, bring it on. We can beat this Tory government in a general election. But now, because they actually think there's a risk they may lose, it looks as though if Boris does table a motion asking two thirds of the House of Commons to vote for a general election tomorrow, uh, uh, Labour will vote against it because they don't want to risk a general election, which the Conservatives might win. Uh, and if they do win it, if Boris wins it, he'll then be able to take us out, deal or no deal, on October 31st. I mean, one minute, the Labour Party and the Remainers are accusing Boris and his government of having carried off an undemocratic coup. Boris turns around and effectively says, OK, well, let's have a general election then. And they say, oh, no, we can't possibly have a general election because you might win that. No, we'll use other means to try and obstruct Brexit, because we know that if it was put to the people at a general election, a majority would probably vote for it, just as they did in 2016. So who's being undemocratic now? But anyway, we're in a pretty difficult spot. The reason it looks as though Boris uh, won't be able to prevent the rebels from seizing control of the order paper and obtaining the right to pass legislation tomorrow. The reason he'll lose that vote tonight, in part, is because there are at least 20 Tory rebels who, in spite of being threatened with expulsion from the Conservative Party if they vote against the government, have nonetheless pledged to vote against the government. Uh, and one curious wrinkle is that one of these rebels may be Nicholas Soames, Winston Churchill's grandson. So Boris is faced with the prospect of having to expel Winston Churchill's grandson from the Conservative Party if he rebels against the government tonight. But in addition, to make life more difficult for Boris, um, a Conservative MP called Philip Lee defected today in a rather dramatic way to the Lib Dems. So he crossed the floor of the House of Commons, left the Conservative benches, joined the benches of the Liberal Democrats. So that was a blow to Boris. And it means that uh, his government no longer has a majority in the House of Commons. Anyway, um, it's looking as though uh, Boris, having had his enemies on the back foot, on the run, 
until today. It looks as though the tables are beginning to turn. I don't think that it means necessary defeat for Brexit or a delay beyond October 31st, but it's become much more finely balanced, I'd say, over the course of today. And it may yet become even more finely balanced over the course of the next few days. If Boris can get through a general election, in, in until now, the concern, he's been saying, if we have a general election, I'm going to fix the date of that general election uh, to fall after October 31st. So we'll have left in the interim. Now he's saying, actually, let's have that general election by uh, on October 14th or on October 17th. Uh, and that complicates things as well, because having a general election before we've left is different to having one after we've left. There is the Brexit party, a rival to the Conservative Party, may split the pro-Brexit vote and let the Remainers in through the middle. That's another risk. If there is a general election before we've left, if there's one after we've left, Brexit party much less of a threat. But if there isn't, if there's one before we've left, then the vote could be split and that could help the Remainers. So I've written a piece in The Spectator this week arguing that there should be some kind of non-aggression pact between the Brexit party and the Conservative party. It's the only way we can guarantee that we will actually leave the European Union by October 31st. But whether or not that happens remains to be seen. So anyway, it all hangs in the balance, James. And I'm now a little bit more nervous than I was. Toby, thank you so much for explaining all this to me. Because I, you know what? I, 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 am, I can be a bit slapdash sometimes. And I find all that parliamentary procedural, procedural stuff quite achingly dull. And also, I, 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 I can also be slightly complacent about, uh, falsely optimistic perhaps. I, I, I genuinely thought that with Douglas Carswell, that the Machiavellian Douglas Carswell, I'm oh, sorry, <laughs> sorry, Dominic Cus- Cummings rather, Dominic Cummings, yes. the guy who, who effectively won, won the Brexit campaign for Vote Leave, with him now as, as Boris Johnson's special advisor and having wargamed all these scenarios I thought that he would have seen through these these devious schemes of the other side and he'd run rings around them but you're saying it, it ain't so well um it's possible James that this is all part of Dominic and Boris's master plan perhaps you know they want to be uh, seen to be forced to be holding a general election as the only way to guarantee Brexit, and they'll present it as we we heroic few up against the massed forces of the establishment trying to do the bidding of the British people. Um, uh, and maybe they think that even though if there is a general election before we've left the EU, there's a risk that the pro-Brexit forces will be split between the Conservative Party and the Brexit Party. There's also a risk, perhaps an even bigger risk, that the pro-Remain forces will be split between Labour, the Liberal Democrats, the Greens, the Scottish Nationalists, the Welsh Nationalists, and so forth. So perhaps this is all part of their master plan. And Dom and Boris calculate that even if there is a general election on October 14th or October 17th, the Tories can still win a majority, even without a pact with the Brexit Party. Or perhaps they're, perhaps they're planning to forge a pact with the Brexit Party. Uh, but but it's, it's, it's harder to keep faith, I think, today uh, in the notion that they, that, they, that they had thought this all through and it's all going to plan. It doesn't feel today as though it's all going to plan. Right. Well, I, 
I must admit, before I went on holiday, um, one of my one of my work colleagues did did express some surprise that I was going away at this at this fraught time, <laughs> saying it's going to be a very interesting week. And I said, really, what's going to happen? And he sort of hinted at some of the things that you've articulated so so well. I I just wanted to draw to your attention, Tobes, if you haven't read it yet, um, the best article I have ever ever read about Brexit and I commend it to everyone if you can find it on the internet unfortunately it'll probably be paywalled but it's a piece that Robert Toombs Robert Toombs is a Cambridge professor of French uh, French history I think uh, who wrote he wrote a fantastic book on the history of the English uh, even though he's a French professor Uh, and he's also I think about one of only two out academics in the entire University of Cambridge who, who who admits to supporting Brexit, and he he he's written this article, head, headlined, "The Constitutional Rage of the Establishment Harks Back to Britain's Pre-Democratic Era," and what he explains better than anyone I've 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 seen in in print, is why it is that you've got this thing that you hear from the establishment and from Remainer politicians and 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 all manner of of talking heads this idea that parliament is is sovereign and ultimately uh it's parliament which should be making this this decision on brexit regardless regardless i mean you and i and i think probably the, the, the voters in Sunderland and elsewhere who voted for, for Brexit in the referendum probably thought to themselves, well, if you have a referendum and 17.4 million people vote in one direction and, and they outnumber the other side by one million, that's a, that's a pretty good mandate for ensuring that Brexit takes place. And what we've seen, in the, as you know, in the, in, in the three years since is a Remainer-dominated parliament insisting, hang on a second, just because the people voted this way, it's up to us to make the final decision. We are parliament. And not knowing much about constitutional history and finding, I mean, I like history, but not constitutional history that much. I, th- I thought, well, they must know what they're talking about. Maybe parliament is, 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 is sovereign. Maybe it should override everything that everyone else says. Although this struck me as a pretty rum thing, given that... Um, you would rather think that the point of having a democracy was to go with what the majority of people want, you know, within reason. And and clearly what we've seen with Brexit, we've been denied all that. Anyway, he points out that actually this, what he calls this inflated notion of parliamentary sovereignty dates essentially from the Victorian age when only a minority of wealthy and educated men had political rights and when Parliament therefore claimed an effective monopoly of political wisdom and economic interest. Hence Parliament, it was claimed, could do anything it wished. It is truly astonishing to hear this repeated today. It cannot be too often emphasised, he says, Parliament alone, and certainly not the House of Commons or a makeshift coalition within it, has never had such sovereignty, and it has never been legitimate for Parliament to overrule the popular will, certainly not when expressed legally and solemnly as in 2016. Even that parliamentary titan, Mr Gladstone, accepted this. And I think I, I, I think this is a fascinating point he, he makes, and he goes back to the Civil War, the English Civil War, 
and and beyond it and puts it all in in, in context that it, it was the, the 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 we had the civil war and then we had we had to wait until the glorious revolution of 1688 before the will of the people was really asserted uh over over the what you might call the 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 political class so it's not unprecedented this 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 turmoil we've had within our history and it does sound like it, it can take a very long time for these things to sort themselves out but the people's will with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time no lucky land casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry in that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Will eventually assert itself as, as, as it, it, it must. So there's yeah, some hope. I agree James. with you, James, 100%. Um, the parliament derives its authority from the fact that it's elected by the people and therefore doesn't have the authority to defy the will of the people. Yes. Um, we should pause here because I have a brief message from our sponsor. This episode of London Calling is sponsored by NetSuite. And if you don't know your numbers, you don't know your business. But the problem growing businesses have that keeps them from knowing their numbers is their hodgepodge of business systems. They have one system for accounting, another for sales, another for inventory and so on. It's just a big inefficient mess taking up too much time and too many resources and that hurts the bottom line. Introducing NetSuite by Oracle, the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy way to use cloud platform, giving you the visibility and control you need to grow. With NetSuite, you save time, money and unneeded headaches by managing sales, finance and accounting, orders and HR instantly, right from your desktop or phone. That's why NetSuite is the world's number one cloud business system. And right now, NetSuite is offering you valuable insights with a free guide, seven key strategies to grow your profits at netsuite.com slash London. That's netsuite.com slash London to download your free guide, seven key strategies to grow your profits. That's netsuite, spelt N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E, netsuite.com slash London. Okay, James. Yeah, no, I'm a huge fan of Robert Toombs. Um, he's actually been to, uh, he's spoken to um, the history department at the West London Free School. He spoke at the history conference we've organised at the West London Free School. That's the 
charter school that I co-founded in West London. Um, he's, uh, he's, he's a great man. I interviewed him for the Quillette podcast not so long ago about Brexit. He also produces um, something called Briefings for Brexit, in which he's managed to assemble. I think, it's, I think there's more than two. I think it's probably about five Cambridge academics, or perhaps even six, who are actually pro-Brexit. From Cambridge? For many many hundreds yes uh, and uh, and he 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 produces this weekly digest of their thoughts on the latest breaking brexit news in briefings for brexit every week it's also a website it's definitely worth uh, subscribing if you haven't subscribed already but yeah and he's one of the most articulate uh, most uh, uh, erudite defenders of brexit why do you think it is toby that i mean you and i are quite rare in the the media class of being fervent brexiteers and we've never we've never wavered in this but why is it that so much of the establishment so many of our colleagues so many politicians are are are, are seduced by the idea of remaining in this anti-democratic sclerotic corrupt uh left-leaning super state that is the european union i don't know i often i often ruminate about this james um i think it's uh partly um i mean i think this, i think there's probably sometimes it's just kind of thoughtlessly going along with peer group pressure you know it, it's just the herd opinion of their class um and so you know they don't want to break ranks uh, it's the tyranny of the majority operating uh within the metropolitan elite um uh, and i think there's uh, i think there's also uh, clearly an element of self-interest you know they are um citizens of anywhere as opposed to citizens of somewhere to invoke david kudart's distinction uh, freedom of movement has been uh, nothing but a benefit to them not only in their own careers but also because you know it staff. Them to cheap staff. staff very cheaply <laughs> um uh 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 all the services and uh, they use in London typically are staffed by um, Europeans as well as uh, British nationals. Um, uh, I think there's, I think there's, um, there's, there's, there's an element. I mean, yeah, that's, I think that in some cases they genuinely believe that the UK will be better off as part of the European Union. They think the era of the nation state is over. They think that Britain acting alone can't possibly secure good trading terms with some of the big trading blocks in the rest of the world and has to be acting in concert with the rest of Europe. Um, some of them have, you know, invested in the European project. Um, I don't mean invested financially, but intellectually, they think this is the big kind of historical movement of their generation to link up different European countries in a kind of federal unit. And they think that it has helped prevent conflict within Europe and so on and so forth. So I think it's a combination of, you know, a genuine intellectually informed opinion with kind of unreflective uh, knee-jerk herd opinion alongside a bit of self-interest. I mean, what I what I what I find harder to understand is the is the sheer um, uh, hostility, the emotionally driven hostility and hatred 
for those of us who don't share their point of view. Um, I mean, it's not just on Brexit that people have this kind of lack of tolerance for alternative viewpoints. But um, I'm always quite astonished by by just how angry and uh, uh, just how um, uh, just how much contempt and vitriol I know I meet with when I when I express I'm, I'm what I you, think Kirby. is a perfectly reasonable and respectable point of view. Um, and I like to think that we are a bit more a bit less aggressive and emotional when defending our position than they are when defending theirs and they hate us more than we hate them now that may well be because we won and they lost and perhaps if the boot was on the other foot it would be different and we'd be the angry emotional ones constantly attacking them and getting hot under the collar at dinner parties and they'd be sort of sanguine and languid yes. <laughs> and kind of uh, more 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 worldly and relaxed i don't know i don't know um, i think but, i think uh, you're right that, that it is partly that they are losing losers who lost but um nevertheless even allowing for for sour grapes I think some of the the language that they've used there was there was a there were a series of marches protests over the weekend which which they claimed ran into the thousands of participants although when you looked at the aerial footage of these of these marches you you realized that sort of uh, the 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 images of, of of large crowds were largely the result of cunning camera angles rather than actual actual numbers but you looked at the posters that they were they were holding and and um, some of the things they were chanting, and they genuinely do seem to think that Boris Johnson, genial, lovable, good humoured Boris Johnson, is the Adolf Hitler of our age. I mean, the number of people who called Boris Hitler, and I mean, if if Boris has a fault, uh, I would I would argue that it's 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 he's not nearly right wing enough. Uh, not not that I'm saying that Hitler was necessarily right wing. Hitler was a lefty, but but you, you, the, the, what I mean is there is nothing remotely extremist about Boris Johnson, uh, and the idea that these people can stand up and 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 call Boris Johnson Hitler, fascist, Nazi, I think shows how um, morally bankrupt really the other side has 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 in, intellectually morally bankrupt the other side yeah, has become in this it, debate. It's it, I think. Um, in the past week, ever since uh, Boris announced that he wanted to prorogue Parliament, and we probably don't need to bore our listeners no, with not. exactly what that means, but um, what he was proposing to do was um, a little bit abnormal uh, from a constitutional point of view, which isn't to say that it was unconstitutional. It certainly wasn't illegal. But nonetheless, um, we've seen, I think, since that announcement, peak Boris derangement syndrome and peak Brexit derangement syndrome and the level I mean I didn't think the kind of animosity and bad temperedness <laughs> could be turned up a notch no. but it has been um, and uh, I don't know if you saw Hugh Grant's tweet in which he kind of uh, launched into a kind of uh, expletive flame flecked rage Oh a bit like Boris. the opening um, scene of Four Weddings and a Funeral where he does that A bit like yes <laughs> Yeah, he was very unlike his prime ministerial persona in love, actually, I have to say. Um, but uh, it, was, it, it wasn't the lovable, self-deprecating, bumbling Hugh Grant that we've come to know and love. It was a kind of angry, um, uh, 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 rage-filled, 
um, Hugh Grant uh, of a kind that I think we've, we've seen a little too much of recently. Um, but did you see Philip Pullman's tweet? Philip Pullman, oh, yes. Uh, the distinguished uh, children's author. I think at one stage the children's laureate, author of um, the uh, of His Dark Materials, and uh, uh, which is about to be turned into a BBC TV series. He said that he wanted to string Boris up from the nearest lamppost. It was extraordinary. You know, I tweeted that I thought that in his novels, the baddies were the people who wanted to murder their political opponents. But here he was wanting to murder Boris. He actually eventually apologised and deleted the tweet, but it was quite shocking. But that's been absolutely... I did actually once write a piece in The Spectator about children's laureates and... They always pick wrong ones. They're always ghastly lefties. It's it's yes, it's extraordinary sure. that that these people who who have direct access to schools should be preaching this absolute leftist leftist venom. But you're right. I, I, you would have thought it's extraordinary, isn't it? P- people like me, classical liberals, uh, are thought to be, you know, as you say, sort of uh, uh, one step removed from Hitler. Uh, and should be kept away from school children at all costs, lest they contaminate them with their incredibly toxic ideology. But people who advocate advocate lynching their political opponents, fine, let's get them in. They can give an assembly anytime. It's extraordinary, isn't it's, it? Well, look, it's it's very interesting to me. Um, I, have you have you dipped into the extracts of Douglas Murray's new book? Not yet. Don't no, be, I'm well, looking forward I, to doing that. He had some extracts in the Daily Mail. Exactly. I'm very much looking forward to reading it. So he's he's asked the question that we've all been wondering these these last few years is is can can society get any more woke before it, it self destructs? And where did this lunacy come from? How did it how did it did, how did it take over our culture so and become so dominant? And he is he put he lays the, the blame largely at the door of Silicon Valley. Uh, he, he 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 doesn't he doesn't he doesn't talk about cultural Marxism or any of the traditional. He he, he says really this is Silicon Valley's Valley's fault. This is a, this is a takeover by Silicon Valley, and I think it's apropos of Philip Pullman's tweets. There is no question that any conservative uh, writer, children's author, uh, no matter how great his stature, would be expelled from twitter twitter within milliseconds for a tweet like that i mean absolutely they would be on him like a you know they the, uh, like a ton of bricks and yet philip pullman doesn't get censured for this he hasn't been hasn't been tossed off off twitter and there are lots of lots of leftists on twitter who say similarly vile things who 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 get off scot free i think the the double standards of that that the silicon valley has towards the left and the right are extraordinary. Yeah, and, and there's no doubt that um, uh, social media has been driving, um, I think, the uh, spread of woke left-wing ideology, um, particularly amongst the sort of educated class, the citizens of anywhere rather than the citizens of somewhere. Um, and... Uh, uh, one int- there's another there's another um aspect i think in which um silicon valley is uh in part responsible for um the polarization of politics both here and in the uk and in the us um i've just been reading a book called the meritocracy trap 
by Daniel Markovitz, which I've reviewed for The Spectator. I think the review is coming out this week. Uh, and it's a kind of blistering critique of meritocracy. Um, and some bits of it are quite interesting. Um, some bits of it, I think, uh, uh, miss the mark. Is he a lefty uh, or a righty? I think he's a lefty, oh, um, but he's quite critical of um, social justice movements, um, particularly in the academy um, uh, and in the and in the corporate world. Um, but he 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 makes a lot of he 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 points out um, one of the things he, one of the shortcomings he 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 sees in meritocracy is that he thinks it's exacerbated uh, income inequality. Um, uh, uh, in America and elsewhere, um, it, essentially, it's uh, created a winner-takes-all society in which the cognitive elite, who are go to these elite schools and graduate schools and end up in these incredibly labour-intensive, high-paying jobs, get all the money, um, and the gap between the top one percent, the top zero point one percent of earners and everyone else is getting greater and greater. And he points out that in 2015, I think for the first time since John Kenneth Galbraith's publication of The Affluent Society, the middle class no longer formed a majority in the United States. So as you see this stretching, this hollowing out of the middle class, the massive accumulation of wealth at uh, uh, amongst the one percent and an even smaller percentage of the population, um, maybe what we're seeing, and that's partly been as a result of the economic uh, developments driven by Silicon Valley, maybe one of the reasons the educated left is getting angrier and angrier is because they feel power and influence gradually draining away from them. Uh, I think it was. Um, uh, AJP Taylor, who said one of the reasons for the prevalence of decline of the West theses uh, during the 1920s and 30s was because Dons at Oxford and Cambridge were, for the first time, having to do their own washing up. <laughs> and uh, maybe that maybe maybe there's an element maybe there's an element of that going on. The reason you have all these incredibly angry middle class protesters out on the street uh, demanding that Brexit be shelved um, is because what what's really going on is that Brexit is a proxy for uh, their general sense that they're losing power, losing influence, that they're gradually being sidelined. That the era in which the bourgeoisie was the dominant class and dominated the media, dominated politics, dominated finance, that that's coming to an end. And it's a kind of cry of the soon to be dispossessed. That's what we're witnessing. Yeah, I'll buy that for a dollar. Yeah, I mean, okay. the, 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 they're, they're the clerisy. I, well, I call them the clerisy, which is what Coleridge, Coleridge called them. There's a, there's a kind of uh, that sort of overeducated elite which in the past they had they became they became vicars and and, and academics and and so on or they went off and um uh conquered new countries for the empire uh and now th they've got their they've got their degrees in environmental sciences from the university of easy access or they've got their their degree in i don't know gender gender um gender studies and 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 uh, racism awareness from SOAS and the UEA, and th there aren't enough th th there aren't enough non jobs to go around anymore. And I think particularly as 
people like us, classical liberals, start winning the argument that actually it is not the business of ta- of the taxpayer to fund these non-jobs. I think these people are going to find it harder and harder to get the graduate level um, salaries that they feel that they deserve in their in their entitled state. So I think that I mean, good times for us because I think we're going to see a lot of a lot of salted slugs writhing in the future. Um, but 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 of course, I'm not sure that the the outrage is going to diminish as a result. I think I, I think no. you, I think we're going to have a lot more fun yet. Is what I'm saying, Tobes. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, you, I don't know if you recall um, the Daily Mail um, ran a succession of photographs. I mean, there were page after page of photographs um, after Trump's electoral victory of people crying on the Hillary campaign. Um, people upset, beating their breasts, um, wrenching their garments. Yes. Um, and imagine if there's, um, if, 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 if the Remainers essentially uh, force Boris to hold a general election before we've left, there is a general election sometime in the second half of October and the Conservatives win a thumping majority and finally have the ability to take us out of the European Union uh, without being obstructed by Parliament. Imagine how upset, imagine all the salted slugs writhing in agony, James. I uh, just hope, that Toby, election night. that, that, that the, um, the people who run the Thames Barrier are, are on duty that day because the, of all the, the salty remainer tears that are, are going to be going into the Thames, there could be floods. It could be it could be biblical, Toby. On the I'm other hand, James, we may we may lose. The boot may be on the other foot. Brexit may be reversed. Article fifty revoked, and uh, we'll have to see if we can do a better job of losing than they've done. No, no, <laughs> I'm I'm going to America, America. If that, if that happens, it, 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 I'm be... heading to Israel. Yeah, <laughs> oh, Israel. Oh, yeah. That would be good. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, you're listening to, dear, dear listener, you're listening to London Calling with me, James Stellingpole, and my very good friend, Mr. Toby Young. We might do an update um, later in the week, Toby? We might. Later in the week when the political fog has cleared and we're a little bit clearer about what's going to be happening over the next six weeks. And don't forget to subscribe. If you enjoyed this podcast, please do subscribe. Yes, please subscribe. That, thank you. Right. Goodbye. Bye. Breaking up is hard to do Don't take your love away from me Don't you leave my heart in misery If you go, then I'll be blue Cause breaking up is hard to do Remember when you held me tight And you kissed me all through is hard to do They say that breaking up is hard to do Now I know, I know that it's true Don't say that this is the end Instead of breaking up I wish that we were making up again I beg of you Don't say goodbye Can't we give our love another try Breaking up is hard to do. Ricochet. Join the conversation. Now I know, I know that it's true. 
Breaking up is hard to do. do, do.